Um, I've been thinking a lot the past uh, couple of weeks about a few different words. Um, those words are value, meaning, and purpose. Value, meaning, and purpose. And I've been reading quite a lot of books um, of men and women of the faith, biographies, autobiographies. And, and I have to admit that sometimes I, I read these books and I'm definitely encouraged, I'm definitely challenged, I'm definitely you know, pushed on. But sometimes there's a question of, well, can I do something like that? Can I really live up to the life of faith that this man, this woman did? Can I do something like they did? Can I change my community? Can I change my, my culture, my sphere, my world? And I wonder how often you ask yourself these, these questions as well. What do I have to offer God? Who's ever asked that question before? What do I have to offer God? Um, what could God possibly want me for? Has anyone ever felt like that? I know I have. In the Bible, we read it, and it so often speaks about plans and purposes, works that God's pre prepared for us. But have you ever asked the question or thought this for, I'm just not someone who's special. I'm not special enough to do this. I can't possibly be involved in this. I think these thoughts, these meditations, these questions are actually the things that hinder us restrict us from doing what God actually wants us to do. If we're always questioning, can I, should I, is it me, is it not me, then really we're not walking in what God has called us to walk in. I think many of us, perhaps over the years, have restricted what God can do in us and through us by questioning, is it really me, Lord? Am I really worthy? Am I really of value? Is this really for me? So this morning, the, the, the question of the title of the sermon is this, what do you have to offer? And the simple answer, which we could kind of end on at the start, is this. What you have to offer is quite simple. It is you. You have to offer yourself in a life of surrender, a life of service, a life of obedience, a life that's lived out in faith, a faith that just says yes. How many of us in our lives, in our Christian walks, have said, yes, but? Yes, but I'm, I'm not ready. Or yes, but I can't do this yet. Yes, but I'm not worthy. Yes, but I've not read the Bible enough times to do this. Yes, but. And God's calling us to a life of faith that just says yes. And if you look at all these men and women of faith throughout church history and modern history, those who have done the big things, those who have impacted nations and the world, they all start with this, simply offering themselves to God, wholly, completely in surrender to say, I am all yours. And we read the books, don't we? And we see this moment of decision where they say, I'm going to give everything to God. And we sit back and we read these stories and we just see the excitement of God moving and working in their lives. And it's the same for us and should be the same for us. We should be able to just offer ourselves Sit back and watch what God can do. Because so often we question ourselves, we doubt ourselves, but really all God wants is you and me. And this morning, all we're going to do is we're going to explore this well-known story, the feeding of the 5,000. If you've been in church for any number of years, you've heard this preached before. You've heard sermons on it, you've read it, you've heard it in Sunday school. You know the story it's a familiar one, and yet it's still powerful. 
And I would encourage you this morning to not let your familiarity hinder you from hearing what God might want to say to you specifically. You know, it's a miracle. This is recorded in each of the four Gospels. Not many miracles, in fact, none but the resurrection are recorded in all four Gospels. Clearly, what happened on this day gripped, gripped the heart of the disciples. It was so memorable that they must, must have so often spoken of it that when it came to recording their gospel message, this record, this account of Jesus, they all wrote it down. The Holy Spirit, we know, is the inspiration behind the Word of God, and He clearly wants us to read this on a regular basis. I mean, if you read the Bible year by year, or maybe once every two years, you read this story four times. And it must be that God wants you to repeat and repeat this one story because it's not just a simple message. There are layers. There is depth. You could look at it from the outset and say it's just a story of multiplication. It's just a story of God's provision. But there is so much more in there for us. And so what I want to do this morning is I want us to learn from this story. I want us to be encouraged by this story. And I want us to be challenged by this story that we know so well. So let's stand this morning for the reading of God's word. We're going to start in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 14 and go down to verse 21. So when Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fish. He said, Bring them here to me. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about five thousand men, besides women and children. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and powerful. It's active. And God, your desire is for your word to be active in our lives, to change, to transform, to renew, to challenge, to stretch, to encourage. Lord, I pray by your Holy Spirit you would speak into our lives this morning. Bring a word, bring something that's powerful to us as individuals and as a body. We praise in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's take a seat. Context um, is always important. At the start of verse 13, it says, when Jesus heard it. And, and, and when you read that, you go, well, what did he hear? What's Jesus up to at this point in his life? And if we look at Luke's gospel and we look at Matthew's gospel, we get two, two things, two things that are going on. The first one we read from Luke's gospel is this. Jesus had just sent out his 12 disciples on, on their first missionary journey, this, this mission of faith. He sent them out with no provision. He sent them out in authority to heal, to cure, to cast out demons, to preach the kingdom of heaven. 
they've come back and, and, and really what Jesus was looking to do with these exhausted, worn out, spent disciples was, was simply to take them aside, to take them by themselves, to hear of what God had done through them. And the second thing that happened, which we read of here in Matthew's Gospel, is that Jesus had just heard of the death of his cousin John. And no doubt for Jesus, this was a heavy, heavy time. When he just found out that his cousin had been murdered by Herod, beheaded, for simply speaking out in truth, the disciples, they come back and they themselves were no doubt extremely heavy, worn out, weary. And, and so Jesus, he brings them aside. He looks for isolation for himself, simply to be alone. This is the backdrop of what we can see as a supernatural picnic. The disciples don't want what's ahead of them. Jesus himself simply wants to be alone. They were not expecting or anticipating this feeding of the 5,000. For them, this day was all about solitary isolation with God the Father. And this is the backdrop that we have here. And in verse 13, we, say, we see this. Jesus he heard about his, his cousin dying, and he departed there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. I mean, Jesus, in, in his place of grief, naturally wanted to be alone. He naturally wanted to draw himself away, but also his disciples away. And, and he was there to be replenished. He was there to be refocused. He was there to be with his father. And yet again, we see this interruption. And I think it's really interesting how Jesus responds to this interruption. I know I don't respond very well to interruptions. But Jesus here responded in the only way that Jesus can, with compassion. But look at the, the crowds here. They saw this man, Jesus. They'd heard all about him. They saw him departing. And what did they do? They literally ran on foot so they might meet him. So they might be in his presence. They might hear from him. They may be healed by him. They were so desperate to be first in line that they ran to him. I think there's two things we can learn from this first verse. First one is that we all need to make time to be alone with God. Each and every one of us, in the busyness of our lives, in the busyness of our family life, work life, social life, whatever it might be, we all need to find time to be alone with God. The disciples needed it. Jesus himself, the Son of God, needed it. We are not, we are not unneeding this alone time with God. We all need to be with him. And the second thing is this. We can learn from the desperation of this multitude. They saw Jesus and they knew that they had to be in his presence and so they ran. I don't know about you, but I need that. I need that, that motivation to come to Jesus because we need him. It's a necessity to be in his presence. It's a necessity to receive from him. But Jesus and the disciples, they have this, this interruption it says in verse 14, Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I have plans for the day and something interrupts my plans, I feel a bit frustrated. 
Is that just me or is that anyone else? We have a to-do list and then something comes up and gets in the way of your to-do list. Jesus, he looks out upon this crowd. And it's not, you know, we were in Cambridge on Friday and it was busy. There were crowds of people, but there were not that many people as we read here. This was a horde of people. 12,000, 20,000 plus people coming to see Jesus. This was a horde of people. And in the midst of this group, there were so many needs. People were desperate to be healed, desperate to be set free, desperate to just hear the teaching of Jesus. And Jesus looked at them and he wasn't frustrated. He wasn't exasperated. He wasn't even disappointed that his retreat with the disciples and his retreat with God was interrupted. We read here that he was moved. To the very core of his being, he was moved by the people that were before him. What was he moved with? He was moved with compassion. Because he saw the desperate need of these people. He looked upon them and he was affected by them deeply. And we, as we look to the world around us, we ought to be affected by people's need deeply. We should not be able to look at the hurting, the lost, those in pain, those suffering, those in need, without feeling that same compassion as Jesus did. We read in Mark's Gospel that he looked upon this crowd of people and he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now consider that phrase, sheep without a shepherd. What, what words come to mind when you consider sheep without a shepherd? T to me it's words like lost. It's words like isolated, alone, hurt. But one word which I really think sums this up so well is the word aimless. The word aimless, it, it means this, it means to lack purpose, to lack intention, and to lack direction. And if you consider people who don't know Christ, that word describes them so well. They are aimless. They are just wandering around this earth looking for the next big thing. Looking for belonging, looking for meaning, looking for purpose in all sorts of areas, but never being satisfied, never being fulfilled, never finding contentment. And we have all been there, have we not? Those who are like sheep without a shepherd. But we all know that in our lives, God willing, Jesus has stepped into that gap. And he has done for me and for you one thing, which is to become our shepherd. You know, one thing that I've been questioning myself and I want you to consider in your own life is this. Can you confidently and sincerely say, the Lord is my shepherd? I don't want you to rush into it. I want you to really think about it. The Lord is my shepherd. And not just the shepherd of your Sundays in getting you to church. But the shepherd of every area of your life. Family life. Your career. Your financial security. Your hopes. Your future plans. Is he the shepherd of every area of your life? I was thinking, what's the evidence of the Lord being your shepherd? 
How can you know in your own life if the Lord is truly the shepherd of all things? Well, in Psalm 23, if you cast your mind back, David there, he writes, the Lord is my shepherd. And what's the second half of that first verse? I shall not want. What are some of the evidences that the Lord is your shepherd? It's that I shall not want. It's that I am content in the fact that Jesus is my shepherd. I'm content that he is the one giving me purpose, intention, meaning, direction. If we can't confidently say this morning, I shall not want. If you are desiring something that, that is not yours, if you're desiring something that you do not yet have, if you're looking aimlessly for something else, then maybe perhaps Jesus is not truly the shepherd of your life. Jesus says this, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. As sheep, we need a shepherd. If we do not have a shepherd, we're just wandering aimlessly. But as our shepherd, Jesus speaks. And as he speaks, we need to listen, and we need to follow. We need to obey. And Jesus says, I give them, the sheep, eternal life, and they shall never perish. That to me is, is contentment, that is belonging, that is purpose, that is meaning, the fact that in Christ Jesus and him alone we have this salvation, we have eternal life. Jesus, he looks upon this crowd and the first thing he says is, they are like sheep without a shepherd, they are full of needs. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't turn them away. He doesn't look for some other answer or some other person to give them an answer. He begins to teach them. He heals the sick and he ministers to them. And so in our need, in our desperation, in our necessity, we need to go to the shepherd. Because he is present, he is available, and we know that if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. We must, we must make the Lord our shepherd because if we don't, even as Bible-believing Christians, we can find ourselves wandering aimlessly about purpose, meaning, or direction. And so we find ourselves getting close to the evening. And the disciples in verse 15, we, we, we see them coming together and saying to Jesus, this is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. They're all there, thousands upon thousands of people. The disciples are watching Jesus. They're hearing what he's saying. They're seeing what he's doing. But suddenly, maybe in the crowd, they see some fidgeting. You know, I see it in the classroom and it goes, gets close to break time or lunchtime. Kids get fidgety. They get irritable. They, they're waiting for the next meal. Maybe the disciples spot that. Maybe they see the sun going down and think, it's time for some food. But they look at this crowd and they see only the physical. They see that this crowd is too big for them to feed. And you can almost imagine these disciples coming together in a big huddle and asking themselves the question, what are we going to do about this? How can we solve this problem of a hungry crowd? And we don't know who suggested it, but they come to Jesus with a big solution. What was their big solution? Send the people away. Send them away to sort out their own issues. Send them away to sort out their own problems. Imagine someone coming to church or someone coming to you and saying, I've got these issues. 
Can we pray about it? Can we talk about it? And you say, actually, this, this problem's too big for me. I think you need to go away and sort it out yourself. Instead of just bringing them to who? To Jesus and to bringing them to the Word of God and to prayer and saying, actually, God is the solution. I don't have it. I don't have the answers. But God has the solution. These people, this crowd, had come to Jesus because they needed Him. They needed something from Him. And the disciples are like, well, we can't solve this problem. Let's send them all away. In fact, in John's Gospel, Jesus, he asked Philip, one of the disciples, who no doubt knew the area well, he says, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Philip comes up with some answer about money and how we can't afford to feed all of them. But Jesus, he said this, he asked Philip this question to test him, to test his faith, to test his compassion. And we read in John's Gospel that Jesus already knew what he would do in this situation. He knew it ahead of time. And it's the same for our lives. Jesus knows ahead of time what's going to happen. He knows what is to come. The outcome for Jesus in this situation was never in doubt. He knew exactly what he would do, and he knew exactly how he would do it. The disciples needed again to learn to trust in Jesus. Just like we in our lives continuously need to learn to trust in Jesus, the shepherd. Verse 16, Jesus said to them, and this is so important, they do not need to go away. Why do they not need to go away? Because they were in the right place at the right time, which was with Jesus. They were there in the very presence of God, hearing from him, receiving from him, being healed by him. Jesus says they don't need to go away because what they truly need is me. Sometimes we may not understand what's going on in the world around us, but if we're in the presence of God, we're in the right place. We're in the right place with him. It's also so important to remember the second part of this verse. Jesus says to them, you give them something to eat. Jesus could have done this any way he wanted. That there was a physical need of hunger. He could have provided for each and every person there a wrapped up sandwich, right? He could have done this however he wanted. He could have set up a buffet table for the crowds to come and get their food from. He could have done it all by himself. And yet the plan was this. You. If you write in your Bible or circle in your Bible, circle that word. You. You do something. You give them something to eat. I want you. See, Jesus didn't need the disciples. He wanted the disciples. Jesus doesn't need you or me involved in his story. He wants us. He wants us to be a part of what is going on around us. He did not want his disciples to miss out on this moment of faith. He did not want his disciples to not learn something of compassion for the multitudes. And I wonder if you considered this question, or this fact, really. God wants you. I really consider that. God wants you. He wants all of you, every single part of you. He wants 
you. He wants you to be involved in his story. And just think about that. The God who spoke everything into being, the God of creation, the God who holds all things together, who made Adam from the dust, who made Eve from Adam, who has been God throughout all of history and always will be, that same God wants you. He wants me. He's saying to us this morning, you do something. You step up. You stand up. You go out. You preach. You share the gospel. You live this Christian life. I want you to be involved. I don't want you to just sit back at home relaxing. I want you out there living the Christian life. I want you. And believe me, it's a privilege to know that. Just to consider that fact that Jesus wants you to be his ambassador here on earth. That's a privilege and an honor. The fact that Jesus wants you to be his disciple, to follow in his footsteps, to learn from him. That is a privilege and an honor. Jesus says to his disciples, you give them something to eat. And then they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. I like to picture in my head what it might have been like as Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And these disciples, they just go scurrying off, scrambling off into the crowds, just desperately asking for food because they had nothing. They hadn't brought their packed lunches. They didn't have their sandwiches. And so they went out into the crowd looking for food. Maybe at some point that desperation turned to doubt. Maybe at some point that doubt turned to anxiety and worry because they couldn't find any food. And I wonder if they had this thought. I just don't want to let Jesus down. Have you ever felt like that before? I just don't want to let Jesus down when I'm at work, when I'm with my family, when I'm in the street, when I'm having this conversation with these people who don't believe. I just don't want to let you down, Jesus. I don't want to misrepresent you. I don't want to let you down. But then enter center stage. One young boy. One young lad who was willing to give what he had to Jesus. It didn't matter how small his offering was. The thing that matters is his willingness his, his faith, his obedience, his trust, his, his heart to just share what he had with the people who were there. That's what's important, not the quantity. The quality of his heart is what was important. That morning, this young boy, maybe he saw everyone in his village running off to see Jesus. And as he's running out the door, his mom, his loving, kind mom says, actually, just take this with you. Here's your picnic. Here's your packed lunch. Take that with you. And he's running off just to see Jesus because he wants to know what all the fuss is about. And he did not know that day that he was about to feed thousands. He himself, with his small little lunchbox, was about to bless a multitude of hungry people. You know, this, this portion of food was really small. Five small barley loaves. They're tiny. Two fish, maybe salted fish, really not much food at all. It would not feed me, and it would probably not feed many people. But this portion of food was going to be spread out across a whole multitude simply because of the faith of this young boy. 
We must not neglect, though, the part that the disciple Andrew has to play. So Andrew is there, no doubt, on the same lookout as everyone else um, for, for the food. And maybe, maybe he sees this boy and thinks, it's not that much, really. don't really want to take this to Jesus. It could be a bit embarrassing. But he does something. He diligently takes this young boy to Jesus. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't know that, that Jesus is going to spread this food across thousands. He doesn't know what's going to take place. He's got no expectations. He himself says, well, it's not really enough. And yet he diligently brings people to Jesus. And there's something in there for us that we just need to bring people to Jesus. We may see the problems that people have. And it may put us off. It may want us to walk away. But what we can learn from this is we just need to take that person and we need to take them to Jesus. We're not the solution to their problem. We're simply the vessel to bring them to Christ. And that's what Andrew was doing here. And so this boy comes to Jesus. He takes his small lunch and he gives it all to him. He doesn't keep some of the loaves back for himself. He doesn't keep one of the fish for himself. He gives everything fully, willingly, completely. It didn't matter how much he was bringing. It simply mattered that he was laying it down at the feet of Jesus. Have a look in Luke chapter 21. Because this boy really, in the physical, did not have much to offer. But what God was going to do... He was going to take this small offering and he was going to multiply it to bless many. In Luke chapter 21, Jesus there, he's in the temple and he's dealing with the religious leaders. He's teaching his disciples. And in verse 1 it says, He looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, truly I say to you, that this poor widow has put in more than all. I guess imagine uh, Matthew, Matthew the tax collector, Judas in charge of the money, looking at the rich people putting in their money, looking at the young woman or the woman putting in her money, and thinking, Jesus has got this wrong. They're doing the math in their head and like, no, she has not put in more than all. And that's how we look at it from an earthly perspective. And yet Jesus goes on and says, For all of these, out of their abundance, are put in their offerings for God. But she, out of her poverty, put in all. What does that word all mean? All. Everything. Put in all the livelihood that she had. It's not about quantity. It's about motive. It's about quality of heart. It's about why we're doing what we're doing. The offering is simply ourselves. That's what we have to offer. The question is not what do we have to offer, because that's quite simple. The real question is how much of it will you give? How much of yourself are you actually willing to give to God? How much of your time? Because time is precious, time is money. How much of your time are you willing to give to God? Or another way of looking at it, what are you holding back? How much of your time are you holding back to yourself, 
to have that me time that you so earnestly desire? How much of your money have you said, God, you can use? And how much are you saving for yourself? How much of your service, both to your family, your friends, also to the church, how much of that are you giving willingly and how much are you holding back for yourself? Your career, is that all about yourself or is it about serving God and the people you're working with and for? The gifts and the skills that God has blessed you with, whatever they might be, are you giving them to God or are you holding them back for yourself? The question is not what do you have? The question is what are you doing and what are you giving back to God? Do not doubt what God can do with what you think is a small offering. You know, you might be sat here thinking, I don't have much to offer. This boy had five loaves and two fish. This woman had two mites, and yet God blessed so many through that. We're still here this morning talking and listening to this story because of what this young boy did. It was so memorable to the disciples that each and every one of them had to get it down in their record of the life of Jesus. No doubt they spoke about it often. No doubt when they were sat around the fire, they reminisced about that time where Jesus fed 12, 20,000 people with such a small amount of food. We have no idea, no idea what God can do with our lives if we lay them down completely at his feet. Imagine if each and every one of us decided this morning that we're going to give up everything to God. And I mean everything. Imagine what he could do through such a small church as this in the world that we're living in, in our communities, in our groups of friends, in our families. Imagine what God could do with our offerings. So verse 18, it says, He said, bring them here to me. Bring them here to me. Who do we take our offerings to? Jesus. No other God, no other place of worship but to Him. He is the one who's worthy of our worship. He is the one who's worthy of our devotion. He's worthy of our time. All of it has to go to Jesus. Could you imagine the disciples if they themselves had decided, we've got these five loaves and these two fish, let's see how many people we can share this out amongst. No one. No one would have been satisfied. No one would have been content or fulfilled they would all have still been hungry and so it had to go to Jesus in order for there to be the miraculous and in our lives our offerings have to go to him otherwise we do things in our own strength and I can assure you when you do things in your own strength it will fail it will crumble it will turn to dust so Jesus he's got this food and it says in verse 19 he commanded the multitudes would sit down on the grass and he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples and the disciples gave to the multitudes. I like this verse for lots of reasons, but one is because I like organization. I like structure. I like my life to be organized. I like my life to have structure. And Jesus here, he commands these people to sit down in groups. I think there are different reasons for what he's doing here. Um, one that I like to think about is this. He wanted this to be a meal that was enjoyed. If you think about people sitting and listening to someone like you're doing with me now, where are you facing? 
the front, me. You're not having any fellowship or fun with the people you sat around with. So if you had a meal and it was just given to you as you're facing forwards, you're not going to enjoy the company of those people around you. But Jesus, he gathers them together in groups so they can have fellowship, so it can be a feast, so it can be a meal that's enjoyed and not just a meal that, that sustains them. Think about the marriage supper of the Lamb, a supper for us to look forward to. That's not going to be boring or dull. That's going to be fun and enjoyed. And God here is about order. He brings everyone into order. And just consider the order of what happens next and the way in which Jesus does this. He sat them down. He took the food. He blessed. He didn't bless the food. He blessed God. And then he broke the food. And then he gave the food to the disciples. And then the disciples went and gave the food to the multitudes. And we don't have a picture here, really, of what's happening in the miraculous. But this word saying he broke the food, it really means he continuously broke the food. So imagine with me, if you will, the disciples are there queuing up and Jesus is breaking off the bread and the fish. He's giving it to the disciples. And then the disciples, they go out and they hand the food out. And they come back and Jesus is still there breaking up the bread and the food and the fish. And then they go out and hand some more out. And it's a continuous process. It would have taken a long time, right, to get around these groups of 50 and 100. And Jesus is constantly breaking up this offering. Can you imagine the disciples going, where's this all coming from? I'm sure he's still breaking up the same fish he was 20 minutes ago. But Jesus, who's the creator, sustainer, is providing miraculously for these people. This is a meal like no other. But the offering, the offering of the food came from who? It came from a willing young boy. It came from a man. Where did the miracle come from? It came from God. What was the method of distribution? It was willing servants. And so we can fit into the two of those categories, can't we? We fit into the category of being the person who's bringing in the offering. But we also can fit into the category of being the one who's being a distributor, taking that blessing to other people. And that requires us to be willing servants. It's just an incredible picture, uh, just to consider God's wonderful provision. It says in verse 20, they all ate. What does the word all mean? All. Everyone who wanted to eat ate food and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. The provision here was, was above and beyond what anyone needed. They were stuffed. You know, after Christmas dinner, Steve, talking about Christmas earlier. After Christmas dinner, I don't know why I'm talking about Christmas in August, but anyway. Um, you're stuffed. Nothing else can go in. You are completely full, completely satisfied. Where did that satisfaction come from? Jesus. It's in Him and Him alone that we are fully satisfied, that we are completely content. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, because in Him we have that completeness, that wholeness, that satisfaction. 
You, can, you look at the, the 12 baskets here, and you can look at the fact that there are 12 tribes of Israel. It's a nice picture. You can also look at this fact. Each of those disciples had a memory stored in here where they carried back a full basket of leftovers. That's going to stick with them. Things like that stick in your memory. Each and every one of these, these disciples not only fed the 5,000, but walked back after they were all full with these leftovers. That's just a wonderful picture of God's abundant provision and how he miraculously does exactly what he wants to do when he wants to do it. Jesus said this, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Don't send the people away because they're in the right place at the right time to receive from me the bread of life. I am the living bread which came from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. This is a wonderful story. It's not just a story of the multiplication of food. There is layer upon layer. There's so much depth to understand the love of God, the, the goodness of God, the provision of God. And there's so many different points of application for us this morning. It could be that you need to have more compassion on the aimless multitudes. Or you need to have more compassion on the aimless sheep, just the one that you know so well, who's just wandering around. And maybe you're just fed up because they always seem to be so aimless. But God wants you to have more compassion upon them. Maybe the application for you this morning is, is truly you need to make Jesus your shepherd. Maybe he's not right now in this moment the shepherd of every area of your life. Maybe you feel unguarded, unprotected. Maybe you feel isolated and alone, rejected. Make Jesus the shepherd. He is the one. Maybe the application for you is this. Be more like Andrew and simply take the people to Jesus. Diligently, willingly, not always aware of what Christ might do, but recognizing that you can't solve their issues and problems. You're not their Messiah. You're not their Savior. Jesus is. And so taking people to Jesus is the only answer. Maybe this morning, like the young boy, you just need to give Jesus what you have to offer, which is yourself. Remember what Paul says in Romans 12? He says that it's our reasonable act of service to offer up ourselves as a living sacrifice in response to all that Jesus has done for us, just to say, God, just take my life. Take all that I have. And that's challenging to surrender everything. It's challenging to give up all of yourself to God, but it's what he would desire. Maybe the application is this. Maybe you have offered yourself to God. Don't be surprised with what God will do. Don't be surprised with what God can do. Just be ready to serve and to be distributors of the blessing. What do we have to offer? The answer is quite simple. It's yourself. The harder question is, what are you willing to give? What are you willing to give? What are you willing to let go of? Because if we let go of it, God will take it, and he may well multiply it and bless thousands with it. Amen? God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your truth. We thank you, Lord, that as we bring ourselves to you this morning, you will take whatever we have to give and you will bless and you will multiply and you will bless others. 
God, we thank you that you are the origin of all blessing, the origin of life. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us that we would take this, this passage of Scripture to heart this week. And just ask the question, God, who, who are we in this story? Where are we at in our stage of life? Are we the crowd, the multitude who is wandering aimlessly without a shepherd? Are we, are we the boy who needs to give up everything? Are we Andrew who needs to bring people to you? Lord, will you speak to us by your spirit this week, I pray. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen.